Bible says we're free indeed. It's wonderful news. If the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, some of us have questions about that. Have you ever looked at the quality of life that the New Testament presents and thought, "Ah, it seems kind of out of reach, you know? What are they talking about? Can I see the next? I mean, how free are we really? (laughs) Could we see the next slide? You know, sometimes it feels like we're dragging something around, you know, or, or we're wrapped up in barbed wire. Or like, you know, I was told early on, we're just going to hang on until Jesus comes. Right? See, I think it's hugely important how we answer this question. How free are we? It depends on a lot of things. Now, we could approach this from the human perspective and say, well, if I look at my experience, there's some challenges here. But I want to look at it from God's perspective. What did he have in mind? And let's look at God's desire for family. The big story of salvation. You know, when God created the world, it was because he wanted a family. He wanted to be a father. He wanted children that he could uh, raise up to look like him. And uh, so he created the planet Adam and Eve, he spent time with them, it says, but something went wrong. And uh, he he lost this relationship that he wanted to have with people. And uh, he began again with Abraham, started working this plan out again, trying to build his family. But if we fast forward a few hundred years, they're in Egypt, in bondage. So he starts again, this time with an amazing process a covenant with the whole nation. He delivers them from Egypt, takes them to the promised land. They get all settled in there. Fast forward a few hundred years, there's a problem again. And uh, something goes wrong. And so this time God says, I need a new covenant, a different kind of covenant. And I think the clues that we want about our freedom are, are, are presented in God's new covenant. Now, this is super important. If you look at um, Jeremiah, he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'm going to get my family back. All right. Now, to be clear, the Mosaic Covenant wasn't just a bunch of rules for people to follow. God wanted his people to stand out from the rest of the world. He wanted them to be morally pure, uh, to deal honestly with each other, and uh, care for the poor, uh, all kinds of things. 
that it turned out that the ground rules for this covenant weren't sufficient. Because after a while, they started to look like the surrounding cultures. And the reason was, something was wrong with the heart. And that's why God says, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. In fact, God says, we're going to address this problem once and for all. I'm going to get my family that I wanted from creation. And see, in the problem, the problem was sin. That's what kept derailing his family, his plan for family. Over and over, God's hope for people got derailed by sin. You know, he rescued them from Egypt. Got a new start, got a new outline for morality, a new environment, but it only solved part of the problem. See, they were free from Egypt, but they were still in bondage in here. And Paul, when he was writing about our condition before Christ, he says, you were dead on account of sin. You were slaves of sin, alienated from the life of God. This is the problem that stopped God's family over and over and over. So this is why a new covenant. See, the whole reason for a new creation, the whole reason for creation at all was that God wanted to be a father and to raise up children to look a lot like him, show a family resemblance. But no matter how God, what God did, how hard he tried, how much he explained what he wanted from them, the law can't change hearts and minds. So God needed to address the core problem, the one that kept decimating his family. And the problem was sin itself. And I believe God's solution to this problem was far more radical than anyone imagined at the time, and we often miss today. Let's look at God's solution. He went right to the core problem. John says, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. See, Jesus came to destroy evil from the top down, both at a cosmic level and at a personal level. We can see this even in his ministry, as you know, he was casting out demons. And, and someone challenged him on that, and he explained himself. He says, <laughs> I am plundering the strong man's house. All right? This is making possible a completely different way of life. And when the, when the apostles started preaching the good news to the Jews, this massive change was at the very heart of their message. This is what, this is what God is doing. Now let's look at what Jesus actually accomplished. There's a passage in Acts where Paul is preaching. And he says, by this Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you, not could, which, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. See, he's declaring the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. So remember in Jeremiah, the two big differences is I'm going to write my laws on your heart and you're going to be my people. Or maybe a short way to say that is this new covenant is going to have the renewal 
that we need and the relationship that I want. So while the law expressed God's desire for this covenant relationship, it relied too much on human motivation and willpower to stay in that covenant relationship. And the bondage of sin was too much for that. So Jesus defeated the enemy at a cosmic level, made a new kind of life possible under the direct reign of God. And that changes everything for us. Now, unfortunately, a lot of this message has gotten lost today in the modern church. So I want to look today at, 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 at real closely at some of these pieces and, and look at what did, the, what did the New Testament authors actually say about how powerful and how thorough this transformation is? First of all, they talked about, in, in so many words, a new exodus. We sang a song about that. Um, God, at the original exodus, God defeated the gods of Egypt and led his people to the promised land. And there's a tremendous parallel in the New Testament that when Jesus upset the powers of the universe and became king, he effectively launched a new kind of exodus, this time from the domain of Satan to, and, and the bondage of sin to the kingdom of God. Now, what we need to see is this, this language of release from bondage permeates the New Testament. It really does. Paul captures this, I think, really well when he says, he rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You hear the echoes of an exodus there? All right. Well, not only that, not only are we, do we get to change realms, we get a new nature. Remember, again, one of the reasons for the new covenant was to transform hearts. And the New Testament presents this transformation in a lot of ways. And, and regeneration is right at the very core of this. All right? This isn't just a change in how God sees us. This is something that actually happens to us and transforms the depths of our soul. And this is why God could say, this new covenant is going to create the family that I want. They're, they're going to be my children, and they're going to look like me. Okay? They're going to be born of me. And this is so important. I think the enemy wants to rob us of this birthright. And there's so much confusion about what this new nature looks like. Because unless we understand who we are in Christ... We have no idea what's possible. We can't even uh, properly, uh, coherently explain what life in Christ looks like until we know what happens to us in the new birth. So we're going to look at Christian nature. Now, it's shocking, but a lot of Christians today believe that the only thing that changes is how God looks at us. Have you heard this? You know, Jesus stands between me and God. And so when he looks at me, he just sees Jesus because I'm still a sinner. You know, that, that bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. 
You know, God looks at me and says, well, who is David? Well, let me check my record book. Ah, it says he's a saint. Okay, David's a saint. She doesn't see me. He sees this clean record. I want to ask, does this bear any resemblance to I will write my laws on their heart? You can't, you can't sustain this theory of identity in the New Testament. In fact, I think it's giving up on solving the problem that God's trying to solve. There's another popular theory. It's called the two-nature theory. When we get saved, God moves in alongside the old nature, and now we have a new nature, and an old nature, and uh, we just live with this until we die. Now, at first glance, this offers a little bit more hope than the first one because something, something good happened to us. But if we look closely, there's a problem, and that is this new nature has been created in the image of God and is perfect. It doesn't really need any change. The old nature is depraved and in bondage and can't change. So if the new one doesn't need change and the old one can't change, how do you change? See, you can't, you can't develop a coherent theology of sanctification if you start here. Can't do it. See, we have a new nature. None of that, what we just talked about, lines up with the way Paul talks about this. He said, put away your former way of life, your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Clothe yourself with a new self. And get this. Created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right. There's nothing here about preserving the old self gone. In fact, Romans 6, Paul says, the old self was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be destroyed. See, this is God solving the problem. And there's no way to reconcile those verses with the two nature theory. We need a better understanding of what it is that happens to us when we're reborn. What does it look like to have a new nature? One that can actually deal with sin, right? All right, new nature. Now, I don't claim that these images are metaphysically correct. I don't know about what that looks like. The Bible's not real clear. But this does kind of demonstrate the dynamics that change between the old nature and the new nature. Under the old nature, sin dominates our life, all right? It, it's, it's the dominion we live under, and it crushes the spirit. Under the new nature, our regenerated spirit, which Paul says is seated with Christ, has dominion over the flesh. I want to be real clear, the flesh is not the same thing as the old nature, 
and we don't have time to dis discuss that. Those are not the same thing, and, and, and the old nature dies, and the new nature, we have the flesh, which is able to work with God to put to death the deeds of the flesh, Romans 8. See, this goes back to the new covenant. I will write my laws on their heart. <clears throat> All right. Now, the other big change in the new covenant, of course, is they will be my people. So not only do we get a new heart, we get a new kind of relationship. Now, uh, Jesus, the whole, the whole reason for creation is God wanted an authentic, real relationship with people. And so far, what we've looked at is the new exodus frees us from bondage and, and gets us into the kingdom of God. The new nature, we are reborn into the image of God, which is capable of ongoing sanctification. And all of this makes possible a new kind of relationship. We've actually, in fact, we've actually been remade into a dwelling place for God. That's partly why we need to be cleansed. The temple was cleansed before God inhabited it. And now we are living temples. In the final discourse uh, in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, my father will love you and we will come to you, make our home with you. See, this is how God gets his family back. Now, this is so important. I want, to, I want to pull this all together. To an, this is an amazing, amazing picture. And so I'm going to briefly recap now these multifaceted parts of our salvation that have made uh, a new life possible. Again, the new covenant. <clears throat> Hebrews 8.11 says, this is the covenant. Now, again, this is the New Testament reiterating Jeremiah's prophecy. This is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, the new covenant is about God gets to have the children who grow up to be like him. And what separates the old covenant and the new covenant is this renewal and this relationship. And it's brought about by Jesus' victory initially, a cosmic victory won by Jesus. He told his disciples, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Paul says he disarmed the rulers and authorities, triumphed over them. See, this changes the planet, and it makes something possible that was never possible before. So now we can be rescued. In fact, Jesus is plundering the kingdom of Satan. Have the next... Paul says he rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Which means, of course, that we're literally changing domains. This is an issue of dominion. Very much. Paul again. For sin will not have no dominion over you. You who were the slaves of sin, having been set free from sin, have now become enslaved to righteousness. This is radical stuff. So, so we've been set free, really set free. We're talking about a true kind of freedom. In Galatians, 
It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. You were called to freedom. And that's made possible in part by our rebirth. We are reborn. We're transformed on the inside. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. All right? So, again, we're looking at all different kinds of ways that the New Testament authors talked about this amazing change. So now we're exchanging an old life for a new one. Paul says we've, we've, that we've stripped off the old self with its practices, clothed ourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. So we get to, we get to grow up and look like our father. See, this new self, <laughs> this new self is in the process of taking back what the enemy stole. And some places, the language gets even more radical. Death and resurrection. Romans 6, he says, the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed so we'd no longer be enslaved to sin because whoever has died is freed from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe we will live with him. This is radical stuff. See, the old nature is dead. Not just kind of dead. Dead, dead. All right? And our, inner, and our inner being is cleansed in the process. Pulling this all together, it means our inner life is now clean. Hebrews says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So there's a purification that's tied directly to what happened at the cross. Which means we're becoming a different kind of person. We're becoming, the Bible uses the word holy. You know the word saints? Literally means holy ones. You can have the next slide. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. You hear that covenant phrase? My people. I will have my people. See? And not only that, we are indwelt by God. Because we have been cleansed, we become a new kind of temple. Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See, now every one of these aspects that we've just walked through connects back to the new covenant. This is, what we, this is our inheritance. This is our birthright. Renewal and relationship. Now, what I want you to, what, what, what I'd like you to know is what we walked through just a minute ago is just the tip of the iceberg. Every one of these areas shows up over and over and over in the New Testament. Let me show you something. I've collected some of those verses. Now, we've got about a, over 150 here, and they enlarge on every one of those areas we just talked about. 
and it covers most of the books of the New Testament. See, this isn't a minor theme. You know, I get up in the morning sometimes and I just read through this and I feel like I've been transported to another planet. It's powerful stuff. Ugh. God wanted a family. And he moved heaven and earth to make it possible and rescue us from evil. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We're not, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We are talking about a real change that makes possible a new kind of life. Now, these themes run through nearly every book of the New Testament, and this is why the authors kept hammering away at this idea of a new creation, the very heart of the new covenant. And the good news is I will write my laws on their heart, and they will walk in my ways. Now, I want to go back to the question we started with. Why are there some places in us and some seasons that we walk through where we don't really feel this kind of freedom. We don't sense it. We don't feel like we're experiencing it or walking in it. And how can we actually experience this freedom that is our birthright? What keeps us from living in that reality? Now, <laughs> I'm not going to give you a lot of how-tos. I think the key issue is believing. You can have a slide. Our greatest barrier is disbelief. Now remember, remember the Israelites. They were set free from Egypt. They came right up to the edge of the promised land, and what happened? They took one look at the condition of that land and said, the people are too strong. The walls are too thick. The cities are too well fortified. You can't do it. And the very same thing happens in how a lot of Christians look at the sin in their flesh. The old nature is still alive. The sin is too entrenched. The enemy is too strong. And they live in the spiritual desert because they don't believe they can overcome evil. Again, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about, like Paul said, with the work of the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Stronghold by stronghold by stronghold, just like Joshua conquered city after city after city. The issue is not sinless perfection. It's dominion. We now reign with Christ, and the first place where we can reign and experience kingdom life is in our own body, overcoming evil. So we have to come to where we truly believe that defeat of the enemy is possible. And I think we have trouble believing that, because the world is a mess, and we sometimes think we're a mess. But see, at the very heart of the gospel, God defeated the enemy so he could have his family back. Now, seriously, I mean, 
this isn't this isn't trivial. This isn't a minor idea. This is the very heart of the gospel. It completely dominates the New Testament. And there's no way to water this thing down. You know, one time the disciples were talking to Jesus, and, they, and he says, what do we have to do to do the works of God? And he says, the work of God is to believe. And that's sometimes the hardest part. Lord, help my unbelief. Now, there's a lot more we could say about that. We're going to look at uh, apprenticing here. How to work with God to flesh out this victory that he has started in us. I'm not going to, we're not going to get into any of the nuts and bolts of that. But because what I want today is for us to catch this vision. This is a holy vision. And it draws us to the heart of God. And we can, with, with this, with this understanding of what God is really doing in the world and what he wants to do in us, gives us a way of proceeding, just, just with, puts a light on the path and says we can move toward God and eradicate the stuff that's in our flesh. One stronghold after another. Now, it might take healing in some cases. It might take some prayer. It might take some repentance. It might. There's all kinds of different aspects of that. We cover some of that in the forming class. What does it look like to build a relationship with God that's strong enough to do this kind of work? But now we can follow after Jesus with the knowledge and the expectation that this is our birthright. This is possible. This is, this is what we've been given. We are free indeed. We have been delivered from the dominion of evil. We've been regenerated with a new nature. We get to participate in the kingdom to cleanse this land. I just, we just need to say, freedom from evil is the best news this weary world has ever heard and it is our birthright it is for freedom that Christ set us free and my prayer is that we'll grab hold of this promise and pursue it I want we need to get it into our bones that we know that we know that we know that God wants to transform my life and he's made that possible sin will not have dominion in our life. Amen. If we could have the worship team and the prayer teams come up. Lord God, help us to get it. Let us get it all the way deep into our soul that you have plundered the enemy's kingdom and rescued us and delivered us and rebirthed us. Lord, we just surrender our lives to your lordship to raise us up as your children and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.
child of God. Blessings. Go in your freedom. And uh, live, live into the life that God has set before us. In Jesus' name, amen.